Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 35 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I could not be more excited to continue digging into personal finance topics with you, and uh, especially continue with uh, this two-day little stint that I'm talking about tax-efficient investing. And we're going to continue that today uh, with one area of tax-efficient investing that I completely omitted yesterday, and on purpose, and the particular area I'm talking about is capital gains taxes. And so today we're going to talk about capital gains taxes, what they are, how they can impact your investing life, and what you can do to minimize them to maximize your long-term net returns on your investments. Before we get started though, if you could go down below, hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the big thumb, the, the like button, leave me any feedback that you would like in the comments and, and hopefully keep it positive, but uh, ask me any questions that you have and I'd be glad to get back with you there. If you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts, you can uh, subscribe to uh, the audio version of this show there uh, and make sure that you're always uh, catching that on your way to work or, or wherever you're listening. Uh, but I appreciate you guys who, who listen there. That's that's an awesome way for you guys to get this content as well. Uh, also, go follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan and check out my website for my financial coaching services that I offer. And that website's www.mnowithdylan.com. And you can find out a lot about me, what I do, and uh, how I can help you personally there. So let's start with what are capital gains? Well, capital gains are simply this. Any capital asset or any asset that you purchase within um, any kind of investment account uh, and then certain other assets like real estate also has capital gains taxes uh, attached to it. It's simply when the value of that particular thing when you sell it is above the purchase price of whatever price you purchased it for. So uh, that would be your capital gain. That difference is your capital gain. And I said the price you sell it for. Now, a capital gain can be something where you, maybe you still hold it and this price that you paid for it, that difference is a capital gain. But my real focus is on realized capital gains, what they call realized capital gains. And so realized capital gains do not happen until the actual asset is sold. And that's important to us because that is when a lot of tax implications are triggered. And capital gains can be both short-term and long-term. So short-term capital gains are going to be uh, any type of capital gain that's realized within one year. So uh, a year or less. And then long-term capital gains obviously would just be longer than a year. And these have to go on your taxes. You have to uh, tell the IRS about your capital gains. And you have to be specific and, and your investment companies help you on uh, if it's a short-term or a long-term so they will know what tax rate uh, to tax you at. And we'll get to that uh, as we move forward here. And so what about capital losses. If there are capital gains, are there not also capital losses? And the answer is, well, yes, of course. So when the value of something that you own, if you sell it for less than the price at which you paid, uh, then that would be considered a capital loss. And these can actually be written off of your taxes. You can actually get a tax deduction for your capital losses. Obviously, though, you don't want to be taking a lot of losses on the assets that you purchase and a deduction is not going to make up for the loss. So uh, 
you want to make capital gains, not capital losses. Um, but if in fact you do, that can be a useful tax deduction for you. So how does this apply in reality? How do capital gains and or capital losses apply in reality? Let me give you a couple of examples. And uh, this first one is going to be uh, in a brokerage account. So in a simple taxable brokerage account, uh, that's where this example is going to take place. So let me read this for you. So um, let's say you own a stock in a brokerage account and you hold the stock for 18 months and then you sell the stock. Okay. You will pay capital gains taxes. Okay. You notice I said capital gains taxes, not your income tax rate on the gain that you made on that investment for the tax year in which you sold it. Okay. But then let's also say you were to have held this stock, this stock for six months and then sold it. Well, then you will pay your ordinary income tax, not the capital gains tax rate, your ordinary income tax rate uh, on the gain that you made on that investment for the tax year in which you sold. So you can see based on the length, as I said earlier, short-term versus long-term capital gains, right? You notice with the long-term capital gain, you have the capital gains tax rate that you are taxed at. And as I just mentioned, that rate is lower than your income tax rate. So, so you are incentivized to hold things for, or assets for longer than one year. And that will allow you to trigger the capital gains tax rate and not the uh, short-term ordinary income tax rate, uh, which is always higher uh, based on the uh, brackets that the IRS puts out. Then let's look at another example. So this one also takes place in a taxable brokerage account. Let's say you own a mutual fund in a brokerage account, okay? And let's say the fund manager sells assets very often in the short term. So he has a high turnover of assets within the mutual fund, okay? You will pay more in ordinary income tax because whenever he makes a short-term capital gain within the mutual fund, a distribution typically goes to investors and that is going to be taxable within that taxable brokerage account. Okay. That's why when you're, talk, when you're talking about being tax efficient, when it comes to capital gains, uh, what you want to do in a lot of cases is uh, hold low turnover mutual funds in taxable accounts because of this very fact. We don't want to be paying more ordinary income tax than we have to. And then let's say in this same example, let's say the fund manager were to not sell assets often. And, and when he does sell them, it's in the long term. Then you will pay less in taxes overall. And the taxes you do have are going to be capital gains taxes, not ordinary income taxes. And so it's beneficial for you to have the, like I just said, these lower turnover uh, mutual funds in these taxable accounts because that's going to allow you to be more efficient in the way that uh, you're investing when it comes to taxes. And you don't want to pay more in taxes than you have to, and that's going to make you do so. And so uh, that's just a, a couple of quick examples. But let's look at this third particular example that I have here. And this is about an IRA or an employer-sponsored retirement account uh, and, and that's where this particular example is going to take place. And you may say, well, why are these examples taking place in different places? Like the first two were in taxable account. Now we're talking about uh, employer-sponsored plans. Why? Well, because taxable investment accounts 
are going to be where capital gains taxes occur. Because if you remember from yesterday's video, when you are investing in these tax advantage retirement accounts and employer sponsored plans and all this, these types of things that are either tax deferred or tax exempt, AKA tax free, then you don't have to pay taxes on the gains. The money grows tax deferred or tax free. So you don't have to worry about capital gains, but in the taxable accounts, you have to worry about capital gains. Now that kind of gives away this next example, but I want to go ahead and walk through it anyway. So this takes place in an IRA or employer sponsored plan, like I said. And so let's say you own a stock, a bond, anything uh, in an employer sponsored plan or an IRA. And let's say that after 18 months, you sell it. So you held it for more than a year. So capital gains tax rate? No, you're gonna pay no taxes because this is either tax deferred or tax free. And so you pay no taxes when uh, you make a gain in an IRA um, or a 401k or 403b or anything like that. Now, what about this though? Let's say you hold it for six months, then sell. Does that mean you pay your ordinary income tax rate like with the taxable account? No, again, no taxes, okay? Because all the growth you make in these accounts are either tax deferred or tax free. And so that's a particular advantage that you do find in those tax advantaged accounts that we didn't cover much yesterday because I didn't wanna, you know, I didn't wanna spoil today's video. Uh, but what you find is that uh, you can take advantage of selling more in the short term within IRAs and 401ks. So really quickly, let's talk about assets that qualify for capital gains taxes, okay? So obviously, like I've said, these are known as capital assets. That's why they're called capital gains. And so capital assets can be things like stocks, bonds, uh, jewelry, uh, coins. So people buy like gold, bullion coins. Uh, so coins, collections, and your home are all considered capital assets. Now there's a specific rule with your home and capital gains that you have to know and you need to understand. Uh, for any homeowner or anybody who wants to be a homeowner, this is extremely important. So I'm gonna read this verbatim, that way I don't mess it up and you can understand it as best as possible. So here's the home rule is what I call it. So the home rule when it comes to capital gains taxes are when you sell your home, the capital gains on the sale, so your home has gone up in value, the capital gains on the sale are exempt from capital gains tax. Now, based on the Taxpayer Relief Act of 1997, if you are single, so just you, you paid no taxes, no capital gains taxes, on the first $250,000 that you make on your home. So that's to say, if your home goes up in value by $250,000 or less while you own it, you pay no capital gains tax. That's awesome, okay? And whose home goes up $250,000 uh, in uh, the time that they own it? Either your neighborhood boomed uh, or you live in a very, a very, very rich neighborhood, a very uh, high class place where the uh, prices can go up that much because the houses are that expensive. So, but that's very rare. It's very rare that you will meet this uh, particular threshold. Now, that was for single individual. Married couples, go ahead and double it. So as with a lot of things, with married couples, you can double the amount. Well, married couples, if the amount of the house goes up um, $500,000 or less, 
then it is exempt from capital gains taxes. Now there are some particular exemptions to this rule. And so let's go over those real quick. So the first exemption is, is that it's only allowed to be exempt from capital gains taxes once every two years. So if you, let's say you buy a home and you sell it for more than you made and it was within the uh, gain um, range that we were talking about, either 250,000 or 500,000, then you can, you know, you can be exempt from capital gains tax. But let's say you did it again within the two-year period, then you are going to have to pay capital gains on those gains because um, they, what they're really trying to make sure is that these are your properties, that this is not um, you simply trying to um, work the system with uh, properties that you are buying and selling or flipping or whatever. And what you'll typically see, and this is, this is not uncommon, is that individuals who either build homes um, or uh, they are you know, contractors of some type or, or they're home builders, what they may do is they may actually uh, build a home with every intention of selling it. But some people will actually move in to those homes for two years at a time and just have a brand new home for two years and then sell it after the two years. That way they're not triggering capital gains tax because it is their primary residence. Um, and, and that's a way that you can get around that if you're in that you know, line of work. But uh, a lot of individuals don't want to move that often and don't want to deal with uh, that kind of hassle. But it, it can be done. And the reason that they do it is because uh, you take advantage of that two-year exemption. And you may say, especially if you live in a wealthier area or the houses cost more, well, what if somebody put a lot of money into renovating the house and uh, put a lot of money into fixing it up and getting it right uh, before they sell it? And then they sell it for a lot and it takes into account those costs. Well, you can add your cost basis and the cost of any improvements you make to the home to the 250 if you're single or the 500 if you're married. And this is an advantage you can have. But once again, this doesn't come into play very often with this particular rule. Now, however, even though we've gone over these capital assets that you can have capital gains on, there are certain ones that you don't have to worry about. And so even though you, know, you own a, a lot of different capital assets, maybe, um, you might own ones that don't qualify for capital gains tax. And a couple of those are business inventory. So if you own a business and you are constantly having to buy this inventory in order to sell it out to individuals, well, you don't have to pay capital gains tax on uh, the inventory that you sell, which is very useful, uh, but you will pay taxes on your business. And so they kind of get you there, but it doesn't uh, take up too much. And then also depreciable business property. So uh, if you're purchasing something for your business, like uh, a, you know, a building that you can put your um, your business in that you can operate out of or you know a, a work truck that you can depreciate or anything that you can depreciate uh, that is property owned by the business, uh, then that is not uh, subject to capital gains tax either. And then also excluded from capital gains tax treatment are certain items that we like to call non-capital assets um, that either you've created or you've produced. And these are things like copyrights, a literary, musical, or you know, artistic composition, a letter, a memorandum, a patent, an invention, uh, a model or a design, uh, a secret formula, uh, or a process of some type within a business uh, that you may have sold 
after 2017. So that kind of went into place there. But all of those things are non-capital assets. So you don't have to worry about capital gains tax there. Well, you might say, Dylan, you keep talking about capital assets and capital gains. How much are we going to have to pay? Well, let's jump into that real quick. So in the U.S. right now, the tax rates for individuals' ordinary income, uh, the, the brackets are at 10%, 12%, 22%, 24%, 32 35 and 37%. Long-term capital gains, though, this capital gains tax that we're talking about, they're taxed differently and at generally lower rates. The basic capital gains are at 0 15%, and at 20%, and that is dependent on what your taxable income is for a year. And although marginal tax brackets have changed over the years, uh, typically the capital gains tax rate is still going to be much lower uh, than the amount that you're going to pay on ordinary income, and it's all going to depend on what your income tax bracket is. I spoke earlier about a couple capital assets um, that have a little different capital gains tax rate. So uh, collectibles such as artwork, uh, stamp collections, things like that, uh, those are taxed at a 28% rate. And the same rate applies to the portfolio of gain on the sale of a qualified small business stock um, that isn't excluded from the tax. So um, those things have a slightly different capital gains tax. But what we really want to focus on is capital gains tax when it comes to investing. And so those examples that I gave earlier of the brokerage account, the IRAs, things like that, understanding how capital gains tax plays into those things is going to be most useful for you. But I want it to be as all-encompassing as I could in this discussion. So let's hop right into it. How much do you have to pay in capital gains tax based on what you make? So these are all in brackets and you can find these on the IRS website, uh, but I'm going to cover them real quick. So you notice earlier I said 0, 15, or 20% are the capital gains tax rates, right? Well, for single filers, if you're a single individual, so if you make anywhere between 0 and $40,000, you don't have to pay anything in those long-term capital gains. Now, if you sold something in the short term, you would have to pay your income tax rate on that, uh, but the capital gains tax is 0. So if you hold something for over a year and you sell it, uh, then you don't have to pay any taxes on that gain, which is a really awesome thing. Uh, but a lot of individuals, not everybody, but a lot of individuals making below that amount um, don't invest a lot. So the government doesn't see it as uh, such a big place to try to get capital gains taxes from. But if you are in that place and you do have some residual income and you are investing, just know that that is the case for you. And then this next bracket is a huge bracket for single filers. So if you're a single individual that makes from 40000 to $441,450, then you have to pay 15% in long-term capital gains tax. And then if you make $441,451 or more, uh, then you have to pay the 20% capital gains tax rate. And you can still see, you know, if you're in that highest capital gains tax bracket, compared to the 37% federal tax bracket for that individual, they're incentivized by 17% to hold their assets longer and to not sell within a year. And so that was all for single filers. Now let's talk a bit about the married individuals. So this would apply to me and my wife. This would apply to uh, a lot of individuals out there that uh, may be listening to this. And so uh, we got to go over it. We got to talk about it because it's, it's very, very relevant. Um, so that 0% 
capital gains tax rate, this is where it gets really interesting. For the single individual, it's only 40,000. Well, what I say earlier, the IRS likes to do this thing where if they're married, double it. Well, they doubled it. And so instead of from zero to 40,000, from zero to $80,000 of taxable income, um, if you make a long-term capital gain, there's no capital gains tax. So it's not uncommon for a married couple to make less than $80,000 a year. And so if you make less than $80,000 a year and you're investing, then, I mean, you know, you could make some long-term capital gains and not pay any taxes. And that seems like, you know, an awesome benefit, um, even though, yes, you want to make uh, the most money you can and, and maximize your income, obviously. Uh, but just know that if you're coming towards the end of a year and you're, you're wanting to sell a stock in a taxable account or, or you know, you want to invest in this particular type of mutual fund that has a higher turnover or whatever it may be, or you want to sell a home or whatever, right? If you want to do something that's going to incur some capital gain and you can wait more than a year, it's going to benefit you so much because you won't have to pay any kind of taxes on that gain, which is an awesome thing. Now, Let's move to the 15%. Well, the 15%, once again, this is a huge range of income, and it's going to go now from $80,001 to $496,600 of taxable income for the married filers. Um, so they'll pay 15% long-term capital gains tax. And then the 20% long-term capital gain tax rate is uh, if you make $496,601 or more uh, as a married couple. And so you see how those play out and they end up working in your advantage if you uh, are you know, having to sell some type of capital asset and realize a gain on a capital asset. Now we wanna minimize these as much as possible, obviously, um, but the key is if I am going to get taxed on a gain anyway, I would much rather it be at the capital gains tax rate than the ordinary income tax rate that I would have to pay if a capital asset was sold within the course of one year. So what should be the takeaway here? Just a few things. So one, any assets that you hold in a taxable account need to be held for more than a year uh, um, unless it's something just super low turnover. Even if it is, you want to hold that mutual fund for more than a year. We want to be long-term investors, not short-term investors. So uh, invest in things you're going to hold for more than one year and you will get more favorable tax treatment. Um, this said, don't continue to hold bad or overpriced securities just for the reason of the tax treatment. Uh, get rid of things that either are not suitable for you uh, or maybe it's some uh, stock that's overpriced now or something like that. Um, but I mean, bad securities, you could come across a capital loss and, and you might want to take advantage of that loss uh, that, that could be useful to you. That, that's something called tax loss selling. So uh, if you know you have a loss, then you can sell some securities and get some tax advantage from that. We talked about that a little earlier. Uh, but don't hold on to bad things just for the uh, tax advantage of doing so. And then capital gains taxes, they really add up and they can eat away at your after-tax returns. So if you can just hold something, if there's no reason to sell it, if there's no reason to incur your capital gains tax, then don't. I mean, I not only am I trying to get you to not pay more ordinary income tax, I'm trying to get you to not have to pay taxes at all. And so if you can just hold something in a taxable account, do it.
And then you have to pay attention to the rules on capital gains tax. You may not think much about it and you may be new to investing. You may be new to, uh, you know, realizing, you know, oh, I'm, I'm actually owning assets now and I'm buying and selling assets. You know, how does this impact you in a, in a taxable way? Well, it can be detrimental. So you have to pay attention to the rules. You cannot fall asleep when it comes to your taxes. And then certain assets that you don't think about as much uh, when it comes to capital gains taxes, like real estate or your home or something like that. Knowing those rules is really important too, because if you were to break that uh, exemption where they give you a two-year window where there's no capital gains tax, well, uh, that can really mess you up. That can really uh, mess up you know, your taxes for a year if you're having to pay ordinary income tax or capital gains tax even uh, on some crazy gain uh, in the value of your home. So just be aware of what's going on. Don't just walk around with no knowledge of what's going on and no, do the homework yourself. Make sure that you're taking responsibility. That's something that if you haven't noticed, I'm just preaching daily on this show about how taking advantage of the things that you know, learning more, and then taking responsibility for your own life, taking responsibility for what you should and should not know uh, is such a big part of your financial life. And so when it comes to tax efficient investing, you have to do it. So knowing how to utilize capital gains tax in an efficient way and to invest in a tax efficient way uh, is something that we need to be doing. It's something that can be really, really useful to you and your long-term wealth building. Uh, if you need help on taxes, you can find a CPA uh, that would gladly help you uh, for a nominal fee, of course, uh, but somebody who's a tax professional and somebody who can actually sit down with you and tell you the best ways that you can um, that you can manage your taxes. Now, d be careful. Uh, some CPAs, some individuals who are in that world are so worried about decreasing taxes that they do throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say, and they do, you know, we're going to try to take as much advantage as we can of these tax advantages and they forget about your needs for other things. Um, and, and that's just a, that's just a honest mistake, but it can happen. So be aware of what your financial position is and what you need to do, uh, and be able to honestly talk to them and be able to talk to them with some knowledge of what's going on. Don't just allow them to tell you what you should do. Uh, take their advice and, uh, hopefully heed some of it and, and get some of those advantages if that is something that you need. So, hey guys, thanks for watching. I appreciate it. Uh, once again, go down below, click the subscribe button, click the like button. That's the like button, not the subscribe button. Click, click the like button. Um, go and leave me feedback in the comments. Let me know what you liked or disliked about this video, things that you may think about this video, questions you may have, and we can start a dialogue there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, I really appreciate you. Don't forget to subscribe uh, to the audio version of the show if that's what you really enjoy listening to. That way I show up on your feed every day and, and you can get the free daily content that I'm putting out there. And when it comes to free daily content, there really is no better place than my social media accounts at MNO with Dylan. Um, I put a lot of good stuff out there and a lot of tips and tricks and, and thoughts that, that can really be helpful to just about anybody. And then also, if you want to work with me face-to-face, -face, you want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you can sign up for a financial coaching session at my website, www.mnowithdylan.com, and you can do that there, and we can get to uh, building you a, finan a financial plan that will work for you long-term. So tune in tomorrow uh, as I start putting out some of the clips uh, and I'll do that tomorrow and on Sunday. I'll put out some of the clips of this week's video, uh, and you can uh, you know check those out and 
Uh, hopefully you enjoy those those short digestible clips of this week's videos that really hits the high points. Uh, and then look out next week. I'm going to be starting a, a new uh, series that kind of builds on what we've already talked about, and that is things that are bad investments and things that are not investments at all that people think are investments. And so uh, we'll get to talking about that next week uh, and really dive into to those things that can be detrimental to your long-term wealth building goals. And maybe you already own some of them, maybe you don't, but uh, I want to make sure that we are not confusing what investing is and is not. So hey guys, thanks for watching. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Money's No Object. I am your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.